Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. What's up, 49er faithful? It is Zane Nackvi back with Levin Black with another episode of the 49ers Web Zone no huddle podcast and Levin, it's good to be back from vacay uh had a good time but man while i was gone a lot of stuff happened like i was off in europe and i i couldn't i couldn't get away from my phone i was glued to my phone and looking at twitter and refreshing <laughs> it to see what was happening with jimmy start in kansas city and the roster shakedown and all that stuff so we got a lot to talk about today don't we uh we sure do and i'm sure that made your uh, significant other very happy well, you know, most of it was during the nighttime, so all of that uh, worked yeah. out really well. <laughs> so the, the the wife and the baby were asleep, and me at 3 a.m. in Amsterdam, refreshing my feed <laughs> like every 10 seconds to see if Jimmy completed another pass. Yeah, that was uh, some, something else. So anyways, we've got the regular season on the horizon. We've got preseason all wrapped up, and we've got a 53-man roster to talk about. Now, before we talk about that, I want to talk about preseason really quick and, and how the 49ers did. Now, they went 3-1 and one in the preseason, and to me, that doesn't mean anything. Like, I, I like, I'm one of those few fans that loves the preseason, and the reason why is because it's football without having to really get invested emotionally into it. So when I go down to Levi Stadium with my wife or a friend or whoever it is, I can enjoy the game without really getting into it and being crazy nervous and, and sitting on the edge of my seat for every play. It's one of those things where you just go down to the yard, it's nice weather, have some food and drinks and all that stuff, and just enjoy the game. And you get to see the rookies, you get to see the starters for a little bit, and it's just it's just fun. So for me, in that sense, I, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy the whole exercise of preseason. However, a lot of people, they don't like the whole song and dance of getting cut down from 90 to 53 and, and the whole meaningless games and injury risk and all that stuff. For, but for me, I like it. I thought the Niners accomplished what they needed to accomplish. Obviously, Nick Bosa didn't play at all in the preseason. And that was one of the guys that everybody wanted to see. And Jalen Hurd was another guy that people wanted to see. He he had limited snaps. Uh, D Ford was out the entire preseason. Guys like Jason Verrett, Trent Taylor, all these guys had had nicks and bumps and bruises that kept them out. But the guys that did play, like who who really stood out to you in this in this preseason for the 49ers? Well, I think you have to start with uh, some of the guys that made the team that were considered kind of long shots. And I think that begins with the only undrafted uh, rookie free agent to make the team, Al Zaire, the linebacker. It's kind of a surprise that he made the team, uh, at least from the start of training camp, you know, seen as a long shot. But he really showed up. He showed his athleticism. He showed that he's back from injury much faster than anybody thought he could be. Uh, He likely would have been drafted if he didn't have that injury, you know, late late in the season in the process uh, just before the draft. So I think that's where you have to start. But you also have other rookies like Dre Greenlaw, another linebacker. I mean, those two to have such athletic, a pair of athletic linebackers like that as rookies, and they don't have to necessarily be truly counted on in huge ways because you still have you know, the Quan Alexander and Fred Warner who are going to play predominantly because the Niners are going to be in nickel so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really a, a a big advantage. You can bring those guys in. They're going to be fresher than they might be if they were having to start and play, you know, on a traditional defense a lot more. And that athleticism, I think, is going to really show and you're, they're going to be able to uh, compete in special teams and bring a, kind of a unique thing there. You know, they're so big and fast. But then you also have in my mind, Richie James kind of stood out amongst the wide receivers, which was obviously one of the biggest position battles of the preseason. You know, it seemed like every opportunity he got, he he not only was getting the receptions, which you can't just look at stats when it comes to preseason. You know, that's one of the difficult things you really got to watch, not just, oh, okay, that guy had the reception or that guy had a 15-yard runner or whatever. It's not necessarily stats in preseason, but his route running seems to have really come along. He seems much more polished as a wide receiver. You know, a lot was made mm-hmm. of him as a rookie. You know, he had all the opportunity. I wouldn't say he could hope for because it was due to injuries, but he had all the opportunity in the world to prove himself as a rookie because of all the injuries and 
didn't really step up to the plate so much. Didn't seem like he was quite ready as a wide receiver. He still brought it in the return game, uh, which is his main ability. But this year, it seems like he's really kind of turned the corner as a receiver. So I would begin with those three players as the real big standouts. Yeah, for me, it was some of the more obvious players, guys like Debo Samuel and Jalen Hurd and even Jeff Wilson, although he fumbled, and that, that is a concern to me. Uh, but yeah. to me, it's, it's again, preseason is one of those things where I want to see guys do well because it just makes me feel better and it goes completely against what I know as an athlete. Like, you know, when I was, when I was playing baseball in college and things like that, there were times where I would be working on something specific when I was at the plate or on the mound or in a specific situation, like I could, you know, throw 15 changeups and have 10 of them just hit like to the wall on a, on a line. And it wouldn't matter because of the four, that were left over the four or five that were left over. I located and I, I wanted to do what I wanted to do. Right. So, you know, when you're in that practice sort of situation and the games don't count, you're working on something specific and we don't know what the players are working on and, and what the coaches want them to work on. Right. So in that sense, we can't take too much away from preseason, but in the sense of, okay, there are guys that look like they know what they're doing and guys that look like they know they, they don't know what they're doing. and the guys that looked like they knew what they were doing to me were again, Debo heard uh, guys like Jeff Wilson, Greenlaw. I agree. Uh, Aziz El Shayer, really happy, really cool story uh, for him to get a spot on the roster. And really, I, I think that in terms of the depth that they've shown, you, you've seen that they have a lot more depth this year. And I think that um, the secondary still is a spot that to me, they they need to improve, but I think that with an improved pass rush, that will help as well. And the biggest thing is they got to stay healthy. But really, to see the draft picks specifically out there, to see Debo Samuel excelling, and especially when he played with Jimmy and to see Jimmy find him, that was really great to see. And I think that going forward into the regular season, you'll see more of that sort of connection between those two. Um, Jalen Hurd, again, I'm really high on him, but he has that back injury and, and we don't know how long he's out for, but to see Jimmy actually hit Debo and to see Debo come down with that ball against Dallas and, and to see him, him be physical and be the guy that we thought he would be uh, uh, on those end arounds and, and getting, getting those extra yards after the catch. I think that that to me is the one guy that really stuck out and, and that's not a disservice to, that's that's kind of a disservice to the other people that that really played well, but um, you know we can honestly talk for an entire episode on just the guys that stuck out in preseason, and <laughs> and we're trying to fit a bunch of stuff in um, so that we don't we don't uh, uh, go over with our fans. But really, to me, what it comes down to is in preseason, can you perform well in the in the short time that you have, and can you get out of it healthy? And for the most part, they did. So I'm I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah, I think. Uh preseason really did go about as well as you could hope. You know, some guys really stepped up that you were hoping that would step up the draft picks and particularly uh, looked good, as you mentioned. A- and big key is there wasn't any huge injuries out there other than McKinnon, which wasn't preseason related, but mm-hmm. around, you know, during preseason it happened. Um, but that's a big change. You know, going into week one, the Niners are going to be mostly healthy, might even be, almost completely fully healthy other than Trent Taylor with, uh, you know, Nick Boza returning to practice and D Ford returning to practice and Verrett returning to practice uh, earlier this week. So it, it looks good. It's about, uh, you know, you said the win loss doesn't really matter. And I, I agree with that, uh, but it does certainly feel good to get those three wins and be three and one. I think this is a team that uh, it's kind of cliche, but Shanahan has talked about it in the past. They do kind of need to learn to win, so it's good to pull those games out. And you know, some of those games are kind of close. So I think that was a uh, a good sign that this team's starting to mature. You know, it is still a relatively young team, but then you know, you saw the return of Garoppolo. Yeah, first look was uh, about as bad as it could get, but you saw that he's truly back there in that third preseason game, which is a great sign. And you saw uh, that he could actually kind of move around and there. There's still some coming back from that injury. Uh, I saw some advanced scouting um, and going back and rewatching it myself where he wasn't 
quite doing the correct footwork, which was always a knock on Jimmy to begin with, but it seemed like he, he wasn't a hundred percent always putting his weight into that uh, injured knee there when he, when he was needing to, but didn't seem to really affect him all that much. So, I mean, that as far as him coming back from injury, that's about as good of a report as you could hope for heading into week one. Um, so I, I would agree the preseason was a very good preseason, which is kind of different than what we've had in recent seasons. Yeah. And when I look at preseason one loss records, I, I just want to win one game, just, just win one, just, you're not, you're not winless in the preseason and don't go undefeated in the preseason. Cause the Niners have done that in the past and then gone right. on to lose their first five or six games in the regular season. So just get the taste of the winning in the preseason, just so you know how it feels to win at something and then just get out of there healthy. But to your comment on Jimmy. So we heard a lot and I'll get, to Jimmy a little bit later uh, in in the show, but we heard a lot of analysis and a lot of hot takes on Jimmy after that first performance in Denver. And it started off as about as poorly as you could, you could think with the interception and uh, him only completing the one pass. But really what it comes down to is that we don't know what Kyle Shanahan told Jimmy in that game. It was his first action in almost 12 months. We don't know if Kyle told him, Hey, I don't want you to take any hits. I don't want you to take any sacks. I just want the ball out of your hands. I want you to see the rush. I want you to try to find a receiver. If you can't throw it 10 feet over his head or give him a chance, I don't care. I want you to see live bullets and I want you to get out of there healthy. And that was it. And and he did that. And the next week in, in Kansas city, he went to the field where he tore his ACL last year, which to me is kind of an underrated storyline, underrated thing. And he performed really, really well. And he was looking like the Jimmy that we're used to. And yeah, you know, like he was, he forced it a couple times and things like that, but that's Jimmy. He's going to try to fit it into, into tight windows, right? He has that confidence in his ability. And I, I, I think that now after that performance, people can pump the brakes a little bit and say that, okay, he'll be fine. And honestly, he'll be fine, man. Jimmy will be, Jimmy will be the guy that we're used to seeing and he'll be completely fine. I'm not worried at all about him. I just think it's a matter of surrounding him with the right pieces. And we'll, again, we'll get to that in, later on in the show. Right. And Speaking you mentioned him. Uh, thrown into those tight windows just to finish that thought. Uh, you know, they, they made a big deal about him throwing in the triple coverage there, uh, right on the goal line, uh, pass to, uh, Pettis in the mm-hmm. Kansas City game that he did well in. People were making a big deal about, oh, is his vision not there? And then he said after the game, no, I did it on purpose. Uh, you know, and people were saying, oh, yeah, sure you did. I, I truly think he was doing it on purpose. You need practice thrown into tight windows and it's better to get those out in preseason than in game one when it, Accounts should he throw into triple coverage? No, but uh, also when do you get a practice throwing into pinpoint really close quarters where you're going to have to give that wide receiver a chance to go up and get it? You know, so I, I truly do believe he was doing that on purpose. Uh, just to touch on that, yeah, I think that we we don't know. Again, we don't know what their intent is and what they're trying to work on. So I think that everything that happens in the set in preseason needs to be taken with a grain of salt. And when the, when the games are real, I think that that's the best, honestly, that's the best measure of trying to find out what a quarterback is and what a team is. So that being said, there is a real game coming up against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers week one finally is here. The return of Jimmy, the return of the 49ers. I'm pumped. I'm sure you're pumped. Our fans are pumped. The roster is set not in stone because a lot can happen from between now the recording, the show and, and the, the game itself, but there's a lot to talk about with cut downs and guys that made it. And I want to start with the wide receiver group. And I had a lot of back and forth with uh, people on Twitter about this, this week. And to the people that have been messaging me saying that you can only have, or you only have five active wide receivers on game day. I know <laughs> I'm well aware of how an NFL roster is comprised and composed. I am well aware of the fact that you are only going to have five active receivers on game day, most likely, unless one of those, one or more of those guys can play special teams or punt return or whatever. So with that being said, right now the 49ers have Marquise Goodwin, Dante Pettis, Debo Samuel, Kendrick Bourne, and uh, uh, Richie James as their active wide receivers going into Tampa Bay. Jordan Matthews was cut in favor of Kendrick Bourne. We got Trent Taylor and Jalen Hurd that are hurt. And um, you've got um, got uh, Henry on the practice squad. Right. So with Taylor and Jalen Hurd out for an unspecified amount of time, Jalen Hurd got, got the back injury. Trent, Trent Taylor has the foot injury and is not going to be back for a few weeks. So you've got 
five healthy bodies that you are trotting out there on game day minus the practice squad. My point uh, about cutting or not cutting Jordan Matthews uh, and trying to justify that was the fact that even if Jordan Matthews is a healthy scratch, you still have another guy that's that's going to be in the bullpen if somebody gets hurt for the next game. We don't know how long Hurd and Taylor are going to take with their recoveries, respectively. So it's always good to have that veteran presence or veteran guy that's that's ready to go. Now that's not to say that they can they can't sign somebody if they need to, but man, this this wide receiver group had all of them have missed games. Every single one of them last year missed games, um, or were inactive for part of the season. So. I don't know how you can count on that group of five guys and be like, oh, you're going to be healthy this season and we're not going to have to worry about it. So that was the thought process behind that. To me, Kendrick Bourne, I, I think that he has a lot of potential and he's one of those upside guys, but too many times I've seen him drop balls, fall down out of coming out of cuts or running the wrong route. I just, it just, to me, I, I don't understand why people are so high on him. And I thought that Jordan Matthews was a, was not a, as spectacular of a player but a more solid player. And I thought they should have kept him over Bourne. I mean, I may be in the minority over that, but I just don't see what, what it is about Kendrick Bourne that everybody's enamored about. Um, I thought that Jordan Matthews was the better, was the better selection. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, if it was me, I would have kept Matthews, but uh, I'm not as high on Bourne as most people. Um, you, you kind of mentioned it there. I don't get why people seem, people seem to think he has this crazy high upside uh, he has upside still. He still has potential. I think he's only 23 years old, but for the most part, I think he is what he's going to be. He's in year three, uh, year three on this team, so he knows the system as well as anybody, or should at least. Um, and I just don't see it. it. Is he athletic? Sure. Is he a physical freak? No. I mean, he, he's not a speed demon yet. He, he's quick on his uh, lateral bursts. Um, which is probably his biggest uh, or biggest strength, best ability. Um, but we saw we he got plenty of run last year, and we saw what he's capable of. And to me, somebody that has super high upside does better than I think it was 487 yards with all the opportunity he had. You, you saw his limitations uh, against good corners. He he can't beat them, and it's not necessarily route running. He to me, I think he's long and lanky when he runs and he just doesn't get the separation i don't see him as a physical freak and some people seem seem to they seem to think he has this super high upside i I think for the most part he is what he is and what he is is somebody that's an nfl quality wide receiver um just not very high on the depth chart somebody that uh should be your number five or six and on this team we happen to have a lot of depth at wide receiver uh, this season, so I would have kept Matthews if it was up to me. I can see why they kept Bourne because in reality, uh, you know he's going to dress for this first week uh, for sure, and then Hurd might be healthy for week two. Taylor might be healthy for week two, although very unlikely at this point. But whenever they're healthy, I'm guessing Bourne is the one that becomes number six amongst the healthy receivers and becomes inactive on game days and thus isn't contributing. And then you also have what's coming up on the horizon. When Taylor does get fully healthy and Hurd gets fully healthy, if there's no more injuries, are the Niners going to remain with seven? Highly doubtful because at that point, there's probably going to be an injury somewhere else where they need depth and they Mm -hmm. need a roster spot. So I still think that uh, sometime around, you know, week three or four, when Taylor is fully back, somebody like Bourne might be released in order to, make room for an injury replacement or just more depth at a different position. So to me, if you're keeping a guy and he's going to dress for one game, uh, you know, potentially one game, I guess I should say, why not have Matthews who to me seems more ready to contribute, you know, better on game days at this point. Right. Agreed. And I think that when it comes down to, other cuts on the roster. There were several other cuts that were made and, and people looked at them and, and were like, Oh, I don't know about that. Jeff Wilson. I mentioned that earlier. Uh, Elijah Lee, who was a special team standout and a guy that was uh, a former starter for part of uh, the last couple of seasons. was another one of those guys. Uh, Adrian Colbert is another one of those guys. We'll get to free safeties in a second, but everybody was talking about 
the 49ers keeping three quarterbacks on the roster. And it was announced that Nick Mullins is going to be the backup to Jimmy and CJ Beathard is going to be the third string, probably inactive on game days. And to me, the insistence of this front office and this regime to continue to employ CJ Beathard and act like he is going to be a significant part of this team is, is really mind boggling. And when you, look at a quarterback and you say that, Hey, that guy's really tough. And that's the best thing that you can say about him. That's not, that's not usually a good thing. Like when you look at like a guy like Patrick Mahomes, they don't say like, Oh, he's that guy's tough. No, they say that guy's a stone cold killer. He can make any throw. He's got a laser arm. He's the MVP of the league. Not like, Oh, that guy's tough. That's, that's not the first thing that comes out of your mouth when you talk about Patrick Mahomes. Right. So when it comes to guys like CJ Beathard, I don't know what the attachment is to, uh, the the 49ers that they have to him. But I think to me, it was one of those things where it was like kind of like an ego pick from Kyle Shanahan. They traded up to get him. Kyle Shanahan wanted to draft him and he saw that he just wasn't very good, but they insist on hanging on to him for some reason. Now they tried to trade, I don't know, one or both of their backup quarterbacks and they found they, they did not find a deal that they liked. So to me, I, I think that really you want to have the insurance policy, but I don't understand why that insurance policy had to be CJ Beathard, but it doesn't really matter at this point because Mullins is the backup anyways. I think Mullins is a much better quarterback. He's earned it. He played better in the regular season last year. He played better in the preseason this year. He is a leader. He is one of those guys that can step in and win games if Jimmy goes down again. So I think that they made the right choice there. And and you may see a little bit of movement in the roster where maybe CJ gets cut at some point or practice i i really don't know but i I don't think that this this is done yet with the quarterbacks no i don't think so either uh lynch mentioned that they were wanting a mid-round draft pick for one of the quarterbacks and weren't offered that much um to me i don't know if if they were if there was an offer on the table for bethard if there was i think it was a mistake not to pull the trigger because he's even if he does nothing bad, he can't do anything good at this point as a number three quarterback to improve his stock unless something catastrophic happens, obviously in front of him on the depth chart. So if somebody's offering you something for him, you might as well pull the trigger now because it's as high as his value is going to get. It's not going to improve it as he sits at a number three, barely getting practice reps. Uh, reps. Mm-hmm. So I just, I, I that's my biggest Takeaway from the 53-man roster, um, biggest gripe, I should say, is that they kept three quarterbacks, which in today's NFL and how little quarterbacks can be touched, I don't agree with. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think two is plenty in today's NFL. Uh, the chances of both your quarterbacks going down in the same week are extremely uh, slim because they can't be hit. I mean, we've, it's been talked about ad nauseum by everybody you know the the window at which you can strike a quarterback and not get it a penalty is you know about an inch wide it, you can't touch him so why keep three Beathard's not going to develop being a number three because your number mm. three doesn't tend to get much practice reps so what's the point um i i would hope at this point that they just didn't get an offer so they decided mm. to keep him because they think he's worth worth keeping at this point and didn't need the roster spot, but are open to releasing him if they need the roster spot. If it ever comes out, which it probably won't with this regime and as tight-lipped as they are, that they were offered you know, a fifth, a sixth, or even a seventh-round pick, I think that's a huge mistake. As much as those draft picks mean, you know, it, it's not that valuable to get a seventh-round pick, but they should have pulled the trigger, in, in my opinion. that That's just the way it boils down to me because he's not going to get anything in the future unless, you know, somebody like Denver say Flacco goes down now and they're truly desperate because now they're down to a guy they just signed uh, or claimed off waivers would be their starting quarterback. Well, they might as well get Beathard who has experience in that offense and with their offensive coordinator since he was our, uh, a Niners assistant in the past, but, Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree. The quarterback position, it doesn't make sense for three of them to be sitting there. But at the same time, I don't see anybody that was released that I would say, wow, they should have really kept him. 
I think Demontre Moore was one of those guys. I thought that they should have kept him. And a lot of people compare him to Marcus Rush, and they're like, oh, he's just a preseason hype guy. And I'm like, you know, when it comes to uh, that sort of position of defensive line and and the amount of injuries that happen uh, on both lines, offensive and defensive line, you can't ever have enough good players there. And I just didn't see the need to keep CJ and let another depth pick for defensive line go. But that's just me. Right. And the, the, the people that come at me with the, Oh, well, I'm glad you're not GM. I'm, I was, that always makes me laugh. I'm like, well, you know, it's, it's, I'm not, I'm not qualified to be a GM. Right. So I'm glad I'm not the GM either. But um, I think that it depends on your valuation of what a third quarterback is, right? Like he mostly carries a clipboard. Like you said, that he's not really going to get much action in terms of snaps. You're running the scout team uh, offense. And I, I really think that at some point you're going to see a quarterback go to the practice squad and you'll probably see this quarterback room cut down to two in terms of the active roster. Um, it's almost like what's happening with the tight ends. And as we move to the tight ends, there's, <laughs> there's four of them. And I, I'm not John Lynch on his conference call said that he wanted to keep George Kittle fresh. And it, it kind of didn't make sense to me because not all of those guys are the type of athlete that George <laughs> Kittle is, and they don't all do the same thing. So I think that um, when it comes down to it, so you've got Kittle, Dwelly, um, Caden Smith, Toy Lolo, all making the, the team. And I, I don't think that group is set in stone at all. I think that Toy Lolo is basically going to be uh, let go or practice squad at some point. Um, and you're probably going to get the three top tight ends, uh, staying, uh, depending on injuries. But to me, that was just really odd to have four tight ends. I don't, I don't know. What, what'd you think about that? I think it is odd. Uh, I, I would love to know what Shanahan's uh, thoughts are on, uh, playing Kittle less mm-hmm. considering he is the biggest weapon on that offense. Uh, so I'm not sure he will actually play less, um, to me, it, it speaks to, I think they just couldn't make the decision. I, I think they really hope Caden Smith develops. Um, he didn't look all that great in that last preseason game. I think mm. they're not quite ready to count on him. Uh, you know, there's a lot that happens behind closed doors that you don't really know. Does he have the blocking schemes down all that well to where they can trust him as a blocker or, or something along those lines? You don't know. So to me, I, I think they kept four to bide time. Because they mm-hmm. had the ability to, like I said, uh, I don't think they released anybody that is a definite they should have kept, and nobody ended up being claimed by another team, so they can always go back out there and get somebody, you know, like a, a more that you mentioned, which, you know, I would agree he had a great preseason. I think he would add to the edge rushing depth, which is one of my biggest concerns at this point. Um, but at the same time, he went unclaimed and. They have givens on on the practice squad that they could promote and other things like that. So uh, mm. I, I think because they had that luxury, they felt like they had the luxury. They kept four tight ends because they didn't want to open up Caden Smith to waivers. Uh, I think Caden Smith, I'd be surprised if he plays much, if at, if at all, or if he even dresses for this first game in week one. I, I think that's what is going on. Not that I necessarily agree. I'm just also not necessarily against it kind of take an offense position on that one Mm -hmm. yeah i think that you really never want to expose your draft picks to the waiver wire and i think and the reason why is because you don't know what they have and you want to at least see what they can do in a team setting and i don't think and the, the exception is that for those teams that have set rosters like the contending teams those guys don't usually keep all of their draft picks right because the the numbers game just doesn't work out and those guys will, are not going to get a chance to play. But when you're the, a team like the 49ers and you're a team that's in transition and they're not a bottom of the league roster anymore. Like, let's get that straight. Like their roster is much, this is probably the most talented roster that we've seen since the last Jim Harbaugh year. And I'm very comfortable in saying that. And when that happens, you are able to keep more of your rookies and, and see what they see what they can do. But uh, I, I think that I'm with you. I, I don't think that they wanted to expose him to the waiver wire and have other other teams be able to pick him up. And I think that the fact that they know him because he's from Stanford and he's just right down the road and they've seen him, um, there's a comfort factor there that they like. And it, the the intrigue is there. Like he's he's a really good run blocker. He's a good red zone threat. Like I think that they can carve out a role for him. So I think that 
at some point this season, you may see him on the active roster. You may see him catch a couple of passes. They really don't know what they have in Rostwelly. Like he's, he performed pretty admirably last year when he, when he got a chance and in this preseason as well. So there's a lot of things up in the air. And I, and I think that because of the uncertainty they wanted, they wanted strength in numbers. Um, uh, shout out to the Warriors, by the way. That's their that's their motto. Um, <laughs> so, I know you wanted to talk about free safeties. So, I'm just going to let you go in on that, man. What do you think about the free safeties? Well, I, I just think it's interesting what they initially decided, and then who they brought back as that fourth safety. Um, I I think it speaks and kind of tips their hand. You know that it still hasn't been officially announced who's going to start at free safety, whether it's going to mm. be Tavarius Moore or Jimmy Ward. To me, I think what they're wanting to do is make Jimmy Ward a nickel corner who can play free safety either at times or if needed because more gets dinged up or, or whatever happens there. To me, it signifies that they're going to start to various more at free safety. And with Quan Williams still banged up trying to come back, Jimmy Ward's going to probably start week one down there in the nickel slot like you saw in preseason game four. Um mm-hmm. And the reason why I think who they brought back tips that hand is I th- Antoine Exum was the one that they brought back. He's capable of playing strong safety and he's capable of playing free safety. He has, mm-hmm. he has that flexibility. I think most people thought Marcel Harris is a better safety at this point, but he's only a s- strong safety in reality. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why they kept Antoine Exum because as long as Quan Williams is banged up, Jimmy Ward has to be that nickel corner. And if something happens to Moore, they're going to put in Exum and leave Ward down in that nickel slot. And we saw positive things out of Ward in that nickel slot. Um, when he returned, uh, I thought he did quite well against Tyreek Hill in that third preseason game against the Chiefs. Um, and I think that is the plan. And it, to me, if it, that wasn't the plan, they would have kept Marcel Harris instead of Antoine Exum, or they would have brought back Marcel Harris instead of Antoine Exum. So that was what I wanted to touch on. I I think at this point, I'm willing to go out on the limb and say Tavarius Moore is the starter at free safety. I think so too. And I I like that you pointed out that they brought back Exum and that he can play both positions. Uh, Marcel Marcel Harris did get practice squatted, by the way. So he is going to be available at some point this season if they need him. And that's super important knowing that this safety group has not been able to stay healthy at all. None of them. And especially Jimmy Ward, the, the knock on him, we know about that with his health and, and Tart, who I think is the better out of the two, but he, he, he himself has not been able to play 16 games in a, in his career. You need a, a really good insurance policy. And I think that Exxon was one of those guys that knows the system. He's been around the team and um, he has been able to make some plays and enough have enough versatility to be able to, to be brought back. And, and I like that. I like that pickup a lot. I thought that, I thought that was a really smart, savvy pickup. However, the safety group still scares me, man. Um, <laughs> they like this, this group, I I'm really disappointed that Adrian Colbert couldn't take that next step. I thought that when, yep. when he got the starting job initially in 2017, he looked like the real deal. He looked like he was a, a really, really good player. And I think that a lot of times what happens is that when guys taste that early success, they it affects how they prepare either they over prepare or under prepare um for the next season and and there's a big drop off and that's what you saw in in Colbert's play the next season or last season 2018 so super disappointed uh, about him not being able to make it cuz I was a big Colbert guy and I th- and I thought that he could uh, be a really good uh, piece for this defense but um you know, it just comes down to who can stay healthy, right? It comes down to bodies. And if they can't stay healthy, then they really don't have a shot. This defense is predicated on the success of the, specifically the success of the free safety, being able to be a center fielder and double the side opposite Sherman. So the side that whoever the, the starting corner with a spoon for whoever is going to be on the opposite Sherman, that side is going to get double most of the time. Right. And that center, that safety has to be a center fielder to, and have, be able to have the range and the rec, play recognition to get there in time, much like Earl Thomas did when he was in Seattle. So, I'm I'm kind of this is the group that I'm most worried about for for a multitude of reasons. But I think that in a lot of ways we have a lot of reasons for hope with them. Yeah, I think there's a lot of potential there, especially with more. Um, 
I also think that it's kind of been an unspoken thing, uh, and we didn't see it much in preseason, but it's certainly possible. I could see the Niners not playing two safeties all that often. I could mm-hmm. see them playing a tart as a single high safety because if you have, you know, Witherspoon certainly looks like he he's bounced back from his sophomore slump. If Verrett is the real deal as that number three corner, and you still have Kwan Williams coming as a nickel, who was one of the top nickel corners in the league last year, and you have Jimmy Ward who's healthy and plays well in that nickel. Do you want to take those guys off the field to play a Tavarius more? Or do you want mm-hmm. to run a single high safety look and have those guys drop down and doing what they do best, which is man coverage and matching up on a specific receiver? So I, I could see that this this defense could be kind of a constant in constant flux in a good way, mm-hmm. where they're always changing their looks, you know, with that wide nine obviously changing the way and ability they have to pass rush, making them more more diverse. They can uh, be a little more deceptive in their uh, blitzes and things like that, but also in their coverages, I could see them doing that single high safety look and playing, you know, maybe a a nickel look that has Verrett in there with Witherspoon, with Sherman, and with Aquan Williams and or Jimmy Ward. I think I can't go out on a limb because we didn't see it much in the preseason, which I was kind of surprised, but that could also be something that they're trying to hide and they're going to surprise Tampa with in week one or something along those lines. And that's something I'm going to be watching for in week one is do they run that single high safety look? And if they do, how much and how successful is it? And they're also relying on the fact that they're going to get to the quarterback more, right? With D Ford and, and Nick Bosa being on the team this year and moving to the wide nine and finding a better spot for Solomon Thomas inside. I think that they're relying on the fact that they'll be able to pressure the quarterback more. And that creates a lot of opportunities for the secondary as well. So we'll have to see how that goes. Now you mentioned the game against Tampa Bay and man, am I pumped for the 2019 season? And look, I I'm pumped, but I'm also going to be realistic about this. And I think that, it's funny because when you're on Twitter and, and interacting with people, like if you say anything like remotely negative or critical about the team, all of a sudden, like you're, you're quote unquote complaining, you're a hater, whatever it is. Right. So to me, look, this is, this is my, this is my stance on it. You can be critical of the team or say something negative or kind of negative ish, but also want them to do well at the same time. Like those, both of those things can be true at the same time. Right. And right. not a lot of people understand that. And that's unfortunate, but that being said, I'm super excited, super pumped. I think this is the best roster that they've had since Jim Harbaugh was here. However, they're not ready to contend for a Super Bowl yet. They're not. This is a team that's still learning and gelling and has a lot of potential and a lot of upside. Those are the two words that you hear about this team the most, potential and upside. They got to turn that into wins first before we really th- start thinking of them as a playoff contending team or a Super Bowl contending team. To me, what they're going to do is they're going to hover around 500 ish for most of the season. Uh, they've got a brutal last six game stretch um, of, of the year, and they've got to basically go on the road to Baltimore and uh, New Orleans back to back. They've got Seattle uh, in that last little bit too. I believe they got the Rams as well. So it's like all of these things considered, we have to temper our expectations, right? That being said, Looking to the first game in Tampa Bay, they have to win that game. And the reason why is because they are the better team. I don't care what Bruce Arians throws out there and his record against the 49ers in his last six games. I think it's 6-0 or something like that. I don't care about any of that. I don't care about Mike Evans. Mike Evans may not play, by the way. I don't care about Ndamukong and Sue now being on the, the, the Buccaneers. But what I do care about is the improvements that the 49ers have made. And I think that they made enough improvements in the offseason to their roster. And Jimmy's back. And Kyle Shannon has another year of learning how to manage a game in the NFL. All of those things combined, they should win that first game in Tampa Bay. Yeah, and they should. Before before I touch on on, uh, on specifically week one, I kind of agree mostly with you. I think they do have a very, very small chance of everything breaking right and being a Super Bowl contender. Uh, I think in seasons past that there was no shot at that. 
there was no chance of everything breaks right in their Super Bowl contender. The talent just wasn't there. I think this year they do have that talent. There's just a lot that has to break right. There's a lot of uh, improvement that has to happen amongst younger players and potential fulfilled. Um, and I, I don't expect that. Um, but I do think the high side is a like a 12-4 and four season. That's the extreme high side with a very small chance. What I see is a team that looks good out of the gate, is in playoff p- position most of the season, and like you touched on, that final six weeks, it, it's not just brutal. It, I mean, it, it is one of the toughest six games stretches I can remember seeing on the schedule in a long, long time. Just to go through it, it you're going to have to play Green Bay. Then you're going to play at Baltimore and at New Orleans. Then you follow that up with home games against the Falcons, Rams, and then you go on the road for the final game against the Seahawks. That's potentially all six of the playoff teams. You know, that, that's all, all teams that could be Super Bowl contenders in reality coming into this season. Those, that's such a brutal stretch. The Niners, if they go three and three in that final six game stretch, that would be a very good result. You know, that'd be mm-hmm. a super good result going three and three on that brutal stretch. Well, that means to have any shot at playoffs, they would have to be six and four hitting that stretch, which would then go three and three, make them nine and seven, which could slide them in as a wild card. Right. Are they going to be six and four at that point? They could be. Um, I could also see them going two and four or one and five. The Niners are one of those teams, I think most likely just because of how the schedule is set up, that most of the season, they're this darling, oh, look, everything's fulfilled. Shanahan's a genius. Jimmy G's for real. He's an MVP uh, candidate, you know, so on and so on. And then they crash and burn at the end. And everybody's going to go, oh, what happened? I guess they needed the experience. And they're going to have to come back next season and try to, you know, come back from that. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be schedule-based. It's not necessarily going to be talent-based. This is a team that really needs to be you know, seven and three after 10 games to be looking good for playoffs, in my opinion. If they're six and four and hitting that six game stretch, I don't like their chances of making the playoffs because it is such a brutal stretch. You know, it's not just who they play, but also how it falls because traveling all the way to Baltimore on the East Coast, that's as bad as it gets for a West Coast team. And, you know, a, a lot's been made and it's backed up by the records of, West Coast teams playing on the East Coast, and then they have to follow it up with New Orleans, which might be the best team in the NFC on the road, one of the hardest places to play. That's mm-hmm. just brutal, you know. And then you follow it up at home against the Falcons, and they might be the best team in the NFC. You know, they're right there. They could be a 12 13 1 team, and then you got the two toughest teams in the division to finish it up. It's just, I don't see playoffs in the in the cards for the 49ers this season, and a lot of it has to do with uh, the schedule. I think of it if it was an easier schedule, I think ten and six would be very uh, achievable. I see this team as a nine to ten win team talent wise. I just see eight or nine wins because of the schedule, which makes them not that likely to be a playoff team. But transitioning into just specifically week one, I feel like that's a game that almost all the fans are overlooking because they Mm -hmm. see Tampa Bay and they go, Oh, that's a, that's a team. That's nowhere as good as the 49ers. You know, Winston is a joke. The Niners are going to win easily. Well, guess what? It's one of those West coast, East coast games. It is a late game. Thankfully it's not one of the early games, but it's Winston with Bruce Arians. And that changes everything. In my opinion, that defense is still not good at all. The Tampa Bay defense is not very good, but that offense with Bruce Arians is dangerous. And I think it's a, it is a great test for this 49ers defense in week one, because it's Bruce Arians. 49ers are very familiar with him and how well he does in offense. And, you know, he was able to make something out of a Drew Stanton, you know, when he was in Arizona. Now he's got Winston who say what you want about him. He has a lot of talent. And mm-hmm. with Arians behind him, that offense is going to move because he's got Mike Evans and Goodwin to throw to. And that might be the best one-two combo in the league for wide receivers. 
in reality, now that Juju and Antonio Brown are no longer together, Chris Goodwin's seen as one of those guys that's going to extend to start on this season. And Mike mm-hmm. Evans is already there. And you got Bruce Arians designing plays for him. I expect that game to be a shootout. And I wouldn't be too surprised to see the Niners lose, even though they should win. But I don't think it's this Niners going to go win 31-14 game that most fans have seen. But I do see it as a great test. And I personally love that that's the week one game. They're playing on the road against a team that has so many passing options and is going to want to pass so much because it's Arians and they don't have very good running backs. So we're going to get to see an unleashed D Ford. And at this point looks very likely Nick Bosa. They're going to be unleashed. They're going to be able to get after the quarterback. They're going to be uh, sent all the time after him. And we're also going to see that secondary tested. If Tavarius Moore ends up starting, we're going to see him tested against a team that likes to throw like that team is going to throw. And that is the number one thing I'm looking for in this week one game. It's the thing I'm look most looking forward to watching is that secondary and pass rush going up against Bruce Arians offense with the receivers they have. I, I just don't think Jameis Winston is that good of a quarterback, man. I just, I just don't, I'm not sold on him. I don't think that even with Bruce Arians and this whole new, new regime coming in, I'm not sure if they can save him. I just, I never thought that he was that good in the first place. And he like just the, his deficiencies may be too much for Bruce Arians to overcome in terms of being able to run his entire offense. And especially we don't know if Mike Evans is going to play, right? Like we, if he, if he doesn't play, then this whole, this whole offense changes for Tampa Bay. Right. And that changes everything. That changes everything. And I think that what, what it comes down to is if like the, we know that there's two, two Jimmy Garoppolo's that we've seen, we've seen the Jimmy Garoppolo of the last five games of 2017. That was basically a guy that you could put the team on your back and he's going to make all the throws and t- carry your team to the, to the promised land or whatever. And then you saw the Jimmy Garoppolo at the beginning of last year that was kind of hesitant, uh, not really making great decisions, not processing things as fast and, and really like not as effective as we had seen the previous year. So I'm looking for the, uh, the Jimmy that we saw before last year. And I think that that's what you saw in the Kansas City game in, in the preseason. And I think that what's going to happen is that if he can avoid turning the ball over, if the 49, and the old thing is the old adage is turnovers lose games, right? So if they can avoid turning it over and they can bleed this clock, I don't think it's going to be a shootout either. I think it's going to be one of those games where ball control will win. And if they limit Tampa Bay's opportunity, it's going to be hot. It's going to be humid. It's going to be muggy. It's not going to be pleasant in Tampa Bay. Remember every time the, the last time the Niners opened in Tampa Bay, do you remember that game? Do you remember when that was? I don't remember what season that was. It was 1997, and the Niners had, I believe it was 97, and the Niners in that game lost both Steve Young and Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice for almost the entire season with the torn ACL with Warren Sapp's dirty face mask tackle, and uh, Steve Young was lost to a concussion, and they got they just got blasted in that game. And um, that was the last time they opened in Tampa Bay, and I'm hoping this time it goes a little bit better. <laughs> but really what it comes down to in the in the grand scheme of things, and and um, what we like to do, by the way, uh, uh, is give predictions on the score. So before I move on to the, the larger scheme of things and what my record prediction for the season will be, I'll give my score prediction for this game. So for week one against Tampa Bay, I'm going to say the 49ers win this game. And I'm going to say that it is going to be a 24-21 win for the 49ers. What about you? <laughs> That's funny. I actually have it written down here, and I'm one point off from you. I have the Niners <laughs> winning 24-20. to Nice. <laughs> All right, cool. At least we're on the same page, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I did want to make one point, though, about uh, what you mentioned there uh, with Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, I think fans should brace themselves for some mistakes. Not, not just week one. I think Jimmy Garoppolo is one of those guys, um, especially this first season, because he is still relatively inexperienced in reality. Um, mm-hmm. But also just the way he is. He does like to take some risks with his throws. Uh, because he does have that pinpoint accuracy. I see him as a guy that, if he stays healthy all year, he's going to be amongst the lead leaguers in yards. He's going to have a lot of touchdowns, but he's also going to have quite a few interceptions. I wouldn't at all be surprised if he is sitting around that 15 interception 
mark at the end of the season. I think he is a guy that kind of likes to gamble a little bit. And just with his inexperience, he's going to have to, you know, learn. And then coming back from injury, uh, I could see a couple throws that just get away from him as his footwork mm-hmm. still isn't there, as I mentioned earlier. So I think team, the fans need to brace themselves for that. Uh, that he's not going to be this all-world quarterback who never turns the ball over and puts up all his yards and everything. But I do see him, if he's healthy all season, breaking the team's yards record, which in reality isn't all that much. This uh, In today's day and age, I think it's uh, 4,400 and some yards by Jeff Garcia. Um, and I see him getting around 30 touchdowns, but I also see him having a lot of interceptions. And I just wanted to get that out there before the season starts. <laughs> cool. All right. So as we wrap up, uh, you say nine and seven, right? Uh, for your right. prediction of the season. All right. I'm going to go eight and eight. And I think that uh, people are going to like that and be like, oh, you're, you're, you know, you're not giving enough credit and all that stuff. But I think that eight and eight is a good place to start because this is a building sort of season for them. This is not a season where they're going to contend for a Super Bowl championship. It's an improvement over last season. That's what I want to look for. And again, like you said, if they go six and four in those first 10 games, then the last half of the schedule, which is brutal, and they t- and if they totally blow it, they can still end up at eight and eight, right? Um, so right. I think that when it comes down to it, that's that's the mark for me. If they go less than eight and eight, that's a problem because you've had three years now to get this thing right. You've had cap room draft picks. You've got Jimmy Garoppolo, who's supposed to be your fr- franchise quarterback. You've had everything that you need, and at this point, like you should have everything you need. So um, I'm going to say eight and eight. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it, it's tough. I think the Niners are one of the hardest teams to peg because everybody knows the potential is there. You know, even national media uh, and other people know that the potential is there and the, and there's a coach there that can really, you know, take the cover off of an offense. Um, but at the same time, they haven't done it and there's a lot of projection to it. So it is one of those teams that... Uh, you know, for instance, if if a national pundit predicted six and ten, I would say, well, he's probably lower than he should be, but it wouldn't be upsetting at all. A six and ten, I think it could could happen. Uh, it is a tough schedule, and at the same time, if a national pundit predicted eleven and five, I would say, yeah, that's certainly possible. I mean, it's one of those teams that has a wide variety of where they could be. Well, so there you have it. I mean, you say nine seven, I say eight and eight. Put that in stone. We'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens. We should have some sort of wager for who, who gets closer. But um, well, I will uh, say as I hope we wrap, we're both wrong. <laughs> I hope we're both wrong. And yeah, yeah, I get I, <laughs> exactly. I hope, I hope we're both wrong and they make the playoffs. So <laughs> as we wrap, um, you can find Levin uh, at the Sports Bum uh, on Twitter and me at Zane Forty Niners uh, and find the podcast on the Forty Niners Web Zone. Uh, homepage as well as SoundCloud and iTunes. Um, give us five stars. Otherwise, don't give us anything because you know that's that's how we roll. <laughs> but and as always, for Levin Black, this is a Natfi with another episode of the Forty Nineers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. See you guys.